You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Today we are looking at emotional maturity as part of that, which um, I've made many jokes during the week about me doing this, particularly as I've got a a silly side. Sarah thinks it's hilarious, but um, I'll do my best. (laughs) Um, Great. Firstly, I thought it would just be good to give you a very brief recap of maybe the last few weeks, some of what we've we've covered already. Um, And as Mark mentioned as well, you can always find the recordings of our talks online. So if you go Spotify and just type in Oasis Church Bath, you'll find us. And if you don't do Spotify, they're on the website as well. Um, But I'd really encourage you, I feel like um, they go really well together as a kind of set. And there's been a a journey that we've sort of been on. So um, maybe if you didn't uh, listen to Mark's introduction, that's a good one to start with. And then looking at the kind of weeks after that. So do catch up um, with those when you can. So at the end of last month, Gaynor helped us consider, I think, how we handle our emotions. That was our sort of all-age service and, um, and how sort of walking with God on a daily basis is kind of essential in that. And then last week, we had Joe Whitehead talking about self-awareness as kind of a path to knowing God, uh, which is a, a phrase that sort of really stuck with me since, since then. And she talked about several essentials in that, including thinking about sort of how our past experiences have shaped us, um, embracing complexity, welcoming our shadow, listening to our emotions, which are often really helpful signposts, and walking with trusted others. And one of the books that I've come across in the last year because of Joe actually is um, this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Um, and it's a, it's a really, really good book. And a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is, is come from this and has been shaped by this so if this is a particular topic you know the whole being human stuff but particularly the kind of inward world things about how we can be sort of more emotionally healthy um, I really would recommend that if you want to sort of dig a bit deeper obviously we're sort of limited on Sunday mornings into how deep we can go with this stuff but that's an excellent um, comprehensive look and and Peter Scazzaro has a really interesting story of sort of being a pastor of a big church and basically just his life kind of falling apart because he was very emotionally unhealthy his marriage nearly fell apart and it's been a journey that he's walked through personally which I think always makes a difference when you know it's something that someone's actually gone through um, so yeah I'd really recommend that to you and there's a particular chapter in it which does actually talk about emotional maturity so um, yeah if you want to kind of dig a bit deeper into what I'm saying this morning have a look at, at that chapter particularly um, so in it, Scazzaro talks about this idea of growing from what he calls emotional infancy to emotional adulthood. So that's kind of the, the distinction that he makes and how the result of that is that we will be able to love people well. So when we operate out of emotional adulthood rather than emotional infancy, uh, we will be able to love people well. Um, he says this, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our world is to be a community of emotionally healthy adults who love well so that's kind of our goal and that's why we want to get better at this stuff because yes of course it's about inwardly about being the best version of ourselves we've mentioned that phrase a few times being um, being human being the best humans we can be but it's also um, the knock-on effect of that is that we're able to love others better love others well and so that's um, a really important focus and why we're looking at a lot of this stuff in fact Jesus actually said didn't he that that's how people will know that we're his disciples you know not because we kind of do believe say all the right things but actually because we love one another that's John 13 35 a horrific paraphrase if you want to look it up um, but to to love people well which is how people know that we belong to Jesus that we're following him and um, we have to move into emotional adulthood 
So for the list people, this is um, this is kind of our structure today. So uh, firstly, we're going to be we're going to think a bit bit more about this metaphor, I guess, of infancy to maturity. So what does it mean to be an emotional infancy? What does it mean to be an emotional adulthood? How can we sort of distinguish between the two? Um, what could the impact of that be? So I've sort of touched on that a little bit, but we'll look at that again. And then finally, what are some of the sort of practical tools that we can use to help us in that area? So it's important to note that this idea of infancy to maturity uh, as a metaphor is a biblical one. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, various different passages that are relevant to this that mention it as we go. So the Bible passages won't actually appear on the screen, but if, you, if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles, there's um, a bunch of them at the back. So just feel free to grab one of those. You can sort of look them up, but I'll, I'll always read out um, the passages that we'll look at. So firstly, what does it mean then to be in emotional infancy? So there's um, a particular blog, which I quite like, that's just called Reasons My Kid Is Crying, which I think is um, a dad that just started taking pictures of his kid every time they had a tantrum with the reason why they were crying underneath it. So um, when I think about emotional infancy, I kind of I think about this. So I thought, let's... Uh, Let's have a few examples. So for people listening in the podcast, I'll, um, I'll read them up. But if you imagine, you know, child having a meltdown on the floor with, with the text. So he doesn't want to go, even though we've repeatedly told him we're not going anywhere. <laughs> he didn't want to share his leg hole. So two kids sat in a trolley. Uh, the, the, the face of the girl is particularly interesting. <laughs> Okay. She dropped a receipt we got from the gas station. He wasn't allowed to electrocute himself. She can't hold all three drinks at once. <laughs> so hands up if you can relate with parents in the room. Yeah, I'm sure you've probably got your own versions of that, possibly even from this morning, uh, to add to that list. <laughs> But they're funny because we recognise, don't we, the silliness in them. We recognise what it was like maybe to react in that way or, you know, as parents, we, we've got our own stories to add. And we laugh, but actually there are things that can cause um, us to remain in this kind of emotional infancy where perhaps sometimes we can have responses or reactions which actually aren't too far away um, from some of these pictures. Sometimes even if we operate primarily from a, a place of emotional adulthood, triggers and uh, memories or moods, stress, even um, hormone imbalance can sometimes and put us back into emotional infancy. And so um, we laugh, but it's actually very normal for all of us at some point to um, you know, respond or react from a place of infancy. Um, so that is why it's relevant for everybody. It's good um, to sort of look at these and how we can kind of, um, I guess, overcome some of these triggers and make sure that even if we feel like re reacting in a certain way, we're able to uh, respond out of um, yeah, emotional adulthood. So in Scazzaro's book, he lists some suggestions of characteristics of emotional infancy. And um, again, I'll kind of go through these, but I'm aware we'll move fairly fast through them. And I think while we go through these lists, it might be that just one or two of them just kind of jump out as particular things. I know for me, as I was reading through, I was like, yeah, that's the one I do, or that's the thing when I'm stressed, I can sort of you know, do that a little bit, a little bit more. So um, we will move through these fast, but again, it might be worth just, if there's one that jumps up, just note it down, and that can be something that maybe you could just reflect on a bit later, and we'll have some time for, for sort of reflection and processing it later on. So characteristics then of emotional infancy. 
So look for others to take care of them. So perhaps that's um, you know leaning too much on others when perhaps we could be more independent. You know perhaps when we hit a, an issue or a problem, we tend to um, expect somebody else to fix it for us, or we instantly um, depend on somebody else rather than being able to cope with it ourselves. And it's important to understand that there's a, a really healthy. Uh, interdependence that I think we should kind of balance it you know that we live in community we support one another that's um, a normal really beautiful thing about the church isn't it about Christian community that we we do rely on each other but perhaps sometimes there are things that we can perhaps patterns or habits we can get locked into where um, we become too reliant on another rather than being um, more resilient and able to kind of resolve problems ourselves. And I think also for me, there's something where perhaps my default when something goes wrong is to instantly go to a person rather than instantly go to God, um, which, you know, without, sounds like a super spiritual thing to say, because I think, you know, God is in people. I think it's all part of the same deal. But there's been many times where something's happened and I've instantly phoned a friend to like run at something. And what I'm trying to do at the moment is just before I make the call or send the text, can I just go and sit just for a few minutes in silence with God and just at least try and process some of my thoughts before so that the first thing I do is almost just sit in God's presence with something even when um, you know I want to reach out for help have great difficulty entering the world of others so perhaps we can become we can all do this can't we become self self obsessed self-consumed with what's going on particularly when things are difficult and therefore we find it hard to understand what's going on for somebody else or even that somebody else might have had just as rubbish a week as we've had um, are driven by the need for instant gratification. I think when I was reading this list, it was funny how many of the things kind of matched up with those pictures from the um, um, Reasons Why Kid Is Crying blog. But yeah, this idea of instant gratification. Um, we want what we want kind of now, and that feeling of soothing or comfort or relief from something straight away. Use others as objects to meet their needs. You know, I, I just need this from this person. It doesn't matter what kind of week they've had or where, they, where they've at. You, again, don't think about them as a person. Just think they've got something that I need. I need to offload onto them. I need something from them. I need them to do this for me. And you're not able to kind of um, see them as a person. Even And again, no one does that deliberately. Um, but it's something, sometimes something that can happen are happy and content as long as they receive what they want. I think, again, that resonates with some of the pictures, doesn't it? Um, so things are all good, but perhaps when we become out of control or things don't go as we, as we want, that's when things can become difficult. Unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, and trials, and are easily hurt, so maybe we're not very resilient. Maybe, again, things can get on top of us very easily and very quickly. Um, and then Schizero also suggests characteristics of what he calls emotional adolescence. Um, so perhaps some of the characteristics that, um, as a metaphor, we might see more in teenagers. And I'll explain where this, this, I think this metaphor breaks down in a minute. Um, so if you're already doing what I'm doing and going, hang on a minute, this is a bit harsh on children, young people, don't worry, I will get to that. Um, so tend to be um, often be defensive or threatened and alarmed by criticism. I think that's probably when I'm a bit you know, low in capacity or tired or stressed, somebody comes up to me and says something critical, it, it affects me in a much deeper way, um, and I can become, you know, threatened by it, or I can become defensive. Keep score of what they give so they can ask for something in return. Deal with conflict poorly, that's something that we'll, we'll revisit. Become preoccupied with themselves, we've touched on that a little bit, haven't we? And have great difficulty truly listening to another person's needs or pain. So perhaps listening becomes something that's more about um, waiting for a chance to reply or you know, rather than kind of actually, like I said before, entering the, the world of that person. 
So maybe that, like I said, maybe there are things in that list that you know are particular sort of things for you or triggers or certain situations that you can, you can recognize yourself in. I think for me, something that I've got much better at recently, I think, is, is probably dealing with conflict. So if you'd have sort of had a, a conflict situation with me a few years ago, um, I would have handled it very badly. I would have probably been very defensive, very, um, you know, verbally I would have used sort of communication skills to just crush whatever anybody said to me if I didn't agree with it. Um, I quite often got into arguments with people that just escalated rather than being able to de-escalate and resolve them. Um, and it just wasn't a, a good thing, really. And it's something I think that God's sort of been chipping away for years in me, really. And, and I think it is, it is much better. Um, but <laughs> when I'm tired or stressed, I can feel myself getting pulled back into sort of that way of responding. So a couple of weeks ago, um, it's been a, a particularly sort of tough few weeks for a few different reasons. But there was this one week when it was, you know, particularly difficult. Everything was felt very, very hard. And um, I went to see somebody, um, I see a spiritual director sort of once every six weeks, and she lives in a really nice area in Bristol, and uh, it's this very posh road, like giant sort of mansions, and um, I kind of always park in the same place where the widest bit of the road so that everyone can get past me. And I sort of came out, and I remember, you know, telling her some of what was going on, I was like, but I'm fine, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I cope with things, like I'll, I'll get through it. And then I um, was feeling a bit smug, like, yeah, I'm really handling all the stuff that's going on at the moment. And um went to get in my car and this guy, this neighbour said, um, just came up to me and he's like, can I ask why you park in front of my house and not the house that you're visiting? And I just was like, and I, in that moment, I think everything that <laughs> in that week that I'd faced had just kind of bubbled to the surface and I basically just completely took the guy out. <laughs> I was like, oh, a giant mansion is not enough for you with a big driveway and three cars. You need the whole road as well. And the guy was like, <laughs> and he's like, well, I just, I'll, I'll go and talk to them about it. And I was like, why? And I just said, get some perspective on your life. Like, it just doesn't matter. It's a public street. I can park where I want. And I just couldn't shut up. <laughs> and uh, eventually this guy looked frightened enough and then said, I'm not going to argue about it and sort of ran quite quickly into his house before I, but I sat in the car and I was like, oops. <laughs> I think I probably could have handled that a little bit better. And while it was, it was funny, I then got home and had to email, email my spiritual director like, yeah, so you know your neighbor. <laughs> I may have told them that they need to get a life and get some perspective and said something about them living in a giant mansion. And so I'm really sorry if that causes problems with your neighbor. See you next month. <laughs> she thought it was hilarious. But um, anyway, <laughs> something for me to reflect on that perhaps when things are difficult, I can get pulled back into those old ways of responding. I mean, it made me feel a lot better about everything, but still it wasn't, wasn't a very good way <laughs> uh, of handling things. So yeah. And we can all behave in those ways. And I think, you know, I share that story partly because I think it's so easy sometimes, isn't it, to be the person at the front that's like, and so these are all the characteristics of maturity and good luck with that. And, but, you know, this is something that I'm trying to walk through as well and something that I fail at, you know, probably on a daily basis. And so it's really important to say it's not, today's not about condemnation. It's not about kind of, you know, wh which are you failing at at the moment? And um, not at all. Um, I think that it's an opportunity for growth. It's a chance for... God to just gently, in the way that he does, just highlight something that is an, an opportunity for us to grow in, to get better at, which ultimately leaves us um, in, a, in a better place in life. So it's not about condemnation at all. And I think, you know, this idea of self-awareness as a, as a pathway to God, I love that phrase, and I think that's, you know, 
um, it reminds me why we're doing this series, you know, that actually if, if our goal is to know God in the best way, in the deepest way possible, then we've got to know ourselves. You can't have one without the other. So this, this self-awareness improving self is not all this self-help stuff. It's nothing to do with that. It's because that's the way um, that we discover God in, in a deeper, fuller way. Okay, so <laughs> what are then the characteristics of emotional adulthood? So I guess this is kind of where we're hoping um, to end up. And like I said, there's quite a few of these. So there's a few slides. So again, it might just be that kind of one or two things jump out. And it might be that there's, you know, something, this is something you need to sort of go back in and revisit. But this is Cazero's list from his book of characteristics of emotional adulthood. So are deeply in tune with their own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. There's loads in there, isn't there? And again, probably each of these is probably a, a, a talk on its own, really. Um, but I love the idea of just being deeply in tune with your emotional world, this idea that, you know, what you're feeling and thinking, that you have this awareness of, of what you're thinking and feeling, where it comes from, how it's going to affect you. Um, but that also, at the same time, you're then able to recognise the feelings, needs, concerns of others, but without losing yourself. And I think that's also something that can be challenging, isn't it? And I've seen some people that sort of almost use the um, needs, feelings, concerns of others to lose themselves because they don't want to face what they're going through. So we can become rescuers, can't we? We can get lost in somebody else's problems because then we don't need to, to sort of think about our own. Okay, have the capacity <laughs> to resolve conflict maturely. <clears throat> okay, I just, there's nothing, nothing, nothing relevant here for me. Um, and negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of others. Perhaps I'll park my car somewhere else next time. <laughs> okay, able to ask for what they need, want or prefer clearly, directly and honestly. So again, you know, what you need without being manipulative or hinting or, you know, just to say it. This is, this is what I need. I think, you know, we can sometimes, again, to avoid a conflict or to avoid being vulnerable, we can try and sort of be a bit you know, hinty or manipulative, can't we? And I think for me, there's something that's really ma this mature approach about saying what we need. Recognise, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. And I think this idea of taking responsibility is really key, um, of owning your own stuff rather than necessarily um, maybe in a conflict situation where we're quite quick, aren't we, to tell others, you've made a mistake here, you need to get better at that without owning any of the stuff that actually we've done in that situation. And I think Joe alluded to it last week, didn't we? You know, we it's quite easy for us to think of the big long list of everybody else, you know, all the changes they should make, but you know, being aware of, of that stuff in ourselves and taking responsibility for it. And can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. Okay, a few more. Respect others without having to change them. That's, that can be hard. Give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. Appreciate people for who they are, not for what they give back. So even if something somebody is never able to give you anything, um, are you still able to appreciate that person for who they are? And accurately assess their own limits, strengths, weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. Type A. Yeah, I think, and again, there's places where that's appropriate and not appropriate, isn't there? Um, I don't necessarily like discussing my weaknesses with people that I feel perhaps don't know me or um, and, you know, haven't built that relationship with me. So there's, there's context where that's appropriate. But this idea of kind of being able to be open about the stuff that perhaps we're, we struggle with or we, or we find difficult. Okay. 
that's it for that list. Okay, I'll come back to that. Um, so again, not a comprehensive list. There's more in the book, but I think it's a helpful starting point and perhaps a good tool for reflection, isn't it? Um, and, you know, uh, something to kind of think about in terms of what, what are the things that maybe God might be highlighting to us. Um, maybe for me, mine is the conflict one, and I'll try to avoid any future road rage incidents on posh streets in Bristol. <laughs> so I think these lists are helpful, but also when we look at examples of how to, to love well, we obviously look to Jesus. You know, he is our example of a life that loves well. And so even just, um, you know, reading the gospel, um, you know, it's been a while, actually. I was thinking this the other day since I actually just read one of the gospels. So the four, first sort of four books of the New Testament, so Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are all these, these different accounts of the life of Jesus. And just studying the way that Jesus, I mean, that's our, in a way, that's our, <laughs> that's our lifelong uh, mission, isn't it, to study the life of Jesus and to try and do the things that he did to try and be like the person that he was um, you know, on the earth. But yeah, that's a practical thing we can all do, considering the ways that Jesus spoke with people, the way that he, he handled conflict, the way that he was in tune with his own emotional world when he said what he needed, when he withdrew from people, when he needed to be by himself, that kind of thing. I think that can be a really, really good, helpful way to look at what emotional um, adulthood looks like. And um, a passage that describes, I think, what love looks like, as in how to love well, is actually one that perhaps we, we overuse a little bit sometimes. If you've been to a wedding recently, you might have, um, might have heard it. But 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read, because it's just, I mean, it's, it's one of my favourite uh, passages. It's a beautiful piece of poetry. But it actually does help describe what love looks like. So to love well, uh, this is actually what, what it looks like. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing." And just to, to sort of pause there, I think there's something really important about, um, you know, Jesus often challenged the Pharisees, didn't he? Because they were people who were very religious. They did the right things, said the right things. They went where they should have gone at the right times, but actually they didn't love. And because of that, you know, they essentially are, are you know, a bit like this description, this paragraph. So maybe we think we, we do, we say we believe all the right things, but unless we're actually loving people well, we've, we've kind of missed the point maybe. So I'll continue. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, when what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man or woman, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. What a, what a description of how to love well. And uh, I remember like when I've read this out a couple of times at like friends' weddings, and um, the bit that always used to like annoy me was the kind of, you know, when, when I was a child, I taught like a child, I thought, I was like, mm, that's, you know, can we just miss that bit out and just read all the nice bit about what love is? And, and actually, now I've come to understand the importance of that verse. You know, uh, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, an adult, basically, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And that is in the context of love, you know, putting these ways of infancy, of, of um, emotional infancy behind us is essentially how we then can love people well. So before we then um, move on a minute to look at some of the tools that perhaps can help us grow and stay in emotional adulthood, I think there's a couple of things, uh, important points at this point. And I think it's, it's probably the youth worker in me, but um, what I think we need to be really careful of doing when we use a metaphor like infancy to adulthood is seeing children and young people as these kind of like, you know, emotionally incapable, immature, and perhaps, you know, I, my image is maybe not helpful in terms of laughing at, at the way they respond to things. But I actually think that children and young people have a lot to teach us when it comes to emotions. And let's not forget, you know, Jesus rebuked the disciples when they tried to prevent children from um, coming to Jesus to be blessed. And um, he even went as far as saying, this is Mark 10, 15, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So it's quite a harsh, quite a stark statement. Um, and I think it's just good to remember that this is a metaphor. And like all metaphors, it will break down at some point. So for me, um, I love the way that children and young people just love so purely and so fully that they are, you know, honest, brutally so sometimes. I think they get some of that list better than we do sometimes. They perhaps don't have the same amount of emotional baggage that some of us do. Um, they're fearless when perhaps we can be fearful. They're often so passionate about justice and they see it really clearly, um, whereas I think sometimes our, our vision could be clouded and they're not afraid to speak out about it. So I think, you know, I like the metaphor and it's a good metaphor, but it breaks down. And I think it's equally as good to sort of look at the example perhaps of children and people and think how we can be more like them when it comes to, um, you know, emotional almost ability, really. And I think also that there are people for, for whom emotional infancy is actually expected and it's entirely appropriate. So Peter in his, his first epistle writes this, and this is 1 Peter 2. Two to three, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Ben, yeah, thank you. Great. So milk, solid food, infancy, um, they're actually used several times by writers in the New Testament to describe this idea of maturity and immaturity. And in this example, Peter is using the language of baptism, really, because he's talking about newborn babies who have essentially been reborn into this uh, new life with Christ. An interesting fact. In the third century, after people were baptized, they actually used to be given um, like a glass of milk mixed with honey. It was the idea that, you know, when you're baptized, that's what you need. You're new. You're a new baby. You need that kind of pure spiritual milk. So, you know, spiritually speaking, when people are new to this stuff, um, that's absolutely expected. They should be focusing on the basics. They should 
be given freedom and permission to be, be new to some of this and learning it and getting it wrong, perhaps more so than some of us that have been doing it for a while. So it's okay that it takes time to figure this stuff out, you know, if, and, and for you if, you, if you haven't been a Christian for very long or perhaps faith is something you're still exploring, you know, it's not like you have to suddenly get all this stuff sorted. There's, there's grace and there's space to, to learn and grow and, and, and milk is good when, when that's what you need. So what about the rest of us? Well, let's look at um, Hebrews 5, 11 to 12. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So milk is appropriate for a newborn, but not for an adult. And for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, there's a challenge, I think, that actually we should know some of this stuff by now. Um, you know, if we're still hurting others consistently because of a, a lack of self-awareness, if we handle conflict badly, um, if we're unable to regulate our own emotions, if we're too reliant on other people doing things for us, if we're completely out of touch with what's going on within ourselves emotionally, um, it's, it's perhaps time to grow up. And again, I say that not with a kind of condemnation, but just that invitation um, to respond to that and think maybe are there areas where I can grow up a little bit. And when we do, I think that's the thing to focus on, the thing to get excited by is, you know, the impact that, that we can have. So again, this is, um, this is Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of pe people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And again, a beautiful use of that metaphor, this idea of kind of um, just being embedded, you know, growing within, within Christ and Christ being this, this idea of this body that grows to become something that builds itself up in love and then goes out and does um, what it needs to do. And, you know, infants are vulnerable, aren't they? They are easily hurt, they're easily broken. Um, to be strong, we need to be mature. We have to grow up and get this stuff if we want to be the best versions of ourselves and to love others well. And I think sometimes when I just reflect back on some of those things in that list, you know, I think if we, even just us sitting here as a community, got this stuff and we really lived that out, if we um, became what Peter Casari said, you know, that quote from the beginning about this, this idea of a, a community of, of emotionally healthy adults that love the world well, and the impact of that, I think, is huge. And our ability to um, help each other, to sustain each other, to enjoy being part of community, I think, is all helped by that. So I think the impact potentially of this is is great. And again, you know, there's that dual impact of it sort of, it's, it's great for community, it's great for the world, but ultimately this is good for us. This is good news for us because it's the, it's the way we were made to live. It was always um, how we were supposed to be, this idea of kind of living um, the sort of life that, that we dream of living. It's possible, we can do it. And some of this is, is, I think, how we get there. Okay, so um, some tools then that might help us um, to do that. And some of this is um, from Peter Scazzaro's 
uh, book, but some of it is just stuff I think that I've found helpful and as I've kind of been on a bit of a journey with some of these things as well. Um, yeah, these things have helped me. So process, don't project. So if we don't deal with what's going on inside of us, we will, it will come out somehow. That's just how we work as humans. Um, if we don't deal with that, if we don't process it, we will project it. It will come out in the way we treat others. It will come out in the way we are at work, the way we are at home. It will affect our marriage, our friendships. Um, and that's the choice that we have. We can deal with it. We can work on ourselves. We can, we can do the hard stuff. Or we can kind of dump it on other people. Um, and a, perhaps the, the kind of choice isn't that binary. You know, it's, it's complex. Um, but I think there is there's a challenge about you know facing the stuff that's hard rather than running from it or um, you know projecting it onto somebody else. Go back to go forward. So um, I'm really excited that in March we've got um, Jan, Helen, and Jess is going to be taking part in that as well. Um, we're going to do a bit of a panel on sort of counselling, I guess. In the case, is counselling and psychotherapy is that a, a spiritual thing? How can God use that? Because I think that's a good tool in some of this. And I think one of the things that's really key in that is looking at our past and it's not too navel gazy it's not you know we look at it so that we can look forward and that's why I've put that phrase but you know we're all shaped by the things that we've been through and um, positive and negative there are there are ways that we've been shaped really positively by the experiences that we've had but for lots of us there are experiences that we've had that are painful trauma that's shaped us in different ways and perhaps we've never had opportunities to really explore or look at that and it's really important that when it's safe to do so and when we're in a community that can support us as we do that that we take those steps and we do that um, when it's it's relevant and appropriate for us so going back um, to go forward peacemaking not peacekeeping so um, perhaps not my park my car park example but sometimes I think conflict is necessary and I think sometimes perhaps historically you know the church big C has been a little bit too good at um, peacekeeping rather than peacemaking you know don't don't say anything that might upset somebody, you know, um, don't just, don't worry about that. Whereas actually sometimes we need to be honest, we need to speak out, we need to tell somebody when they've done something that's wrong or that's hurt us. And that doesn't, again, that's not in a condemnation sort of way, but it's an honesty way. It's it's not avoiding things that are difficult because sometimes actually conflict is, is the route by which we reach a solution for something. Um, you know, healthy conflict, conflict done well, is it's possible. And it's an important part of, I think, of being a Christian. And we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of what Extinction Rebellion are doing at the moment, I think is really inspiring in terms of, you know, it's not about... Um, creating it, people are sort of saying all the, all the hassle they're causing and uh, you know, all the protests that they're doing. But to, to make peace, um, you know, peace, I, I see part of peace is, is our world is in, is in conflict. You know, it's, it's, we're destroying our earth and we've got 10 years basically to fix it. Otherwise, there's no going back. We've got to have some conflict. We've got to get in some people's way. We've got to make people aware um, of what's happening. And that involves conflict, tr protest, it, it, it kind of um, involves making some trouble, and that's you know that's what it's somewhere in Acts that Paul and the, the apostles are called troublemakers. You know that essentially that's sometimes we've got to make some trouble. Peace is something that we make, not something that we keep. Okay, rhythms and rest. This is something that we'll look at. Um, I think at the end of of March, it's one of the topics that we'll explore. But I think that we are creatures of habit. 
we are designed to have these rhythms. Um, we've got day, we've got night. Um, you know, we, we do certain things. We have certain habits, healthy routines, which I think help us to kind of deal with our emotional world really well. So I think understanding what needs to be in place in our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, in our routines um, to create healthy rhythms so that we can process, express uh, some of the things that are going on for us is really, really important. And linked to that a little bit is silence and stillness. And this is something that will be um, a struggle for me until um, I die, I think. I just cannot shut up long enough sometimes just to listen. And I find that, um, and I told some of you about it, but I did a retreat day, I think it was last month. And um, it was just, I made myself just shut up. Like, I didn't read any books, I didn't write anything, I didn't, I just went for a walk and I wasn't allowed any music and I just realised I never do that. And honestly, God just spoke to me so clearly um, in a way I hadn't experienced for a long time. And sometimes there's so much noise, isn't there, in our world, so much busyness and everything's filled with a commentary constantly um, that actually, and it's a discipline we see throughout the Christian faith right from the beginning. Um, but until until now as well, this idea of kind of silence being a, a spiritual discipline and just being still, being silent, um, and how that helps us understand what's going on and and reflect and hear from God. And then this is something that I've nicked from Joe's talk last week about walking with trusted others, because I think that's such an important thing. And hopefully that's some of what we what we get from church, isn't it? People that we can just be real with, people that we can just say, oh you know, this has happened, or I need this, or this is going on for me, but also people that aren't afraid to tell us when we're being an idiot, um, and I think that is just as important, that, you know, think about who is there in your life, when was the last time somebody challenged you and said, actually, um, you could have maybe handled that better, or the way you said that was pretty, you know, I don't know, just somebody that's kind of in your world that will challenge you, and I think it's too easy just to surround ourselves by people that agree with us and um, just constantly affirm and encourage us and will silence other voices. So make sure that you have people that can be honest with you, that can speak into your life. And that might be difficult. That's going to involve slightly weird conversations. But ultimately, that's the path to, to growth. Okay, and then just a couple more. We're nearly there now. Um, allergies and triggers. So um, Peter Scazzera calls them allergies. I think essentially what he's talking about is, is triggers. This idea that, you know, particular situations, particular language, particular people can provoke this reaction in us. Um, trying to think of an example, but maybe something might remind us of a, of a memory. Or so sometimes, um, and again, we've all had our own journeys with faith, haven't we? And mine has um, probably come to the point where I was, I, you know, was part of a very evangelical expression of faith. And um, I've like been through a process of deconstructing a lot of that. And I'm still rebuilding some of what I believe. And sometimes when somebody stands up and uses very evangelical language, it can provoke this, this quite intense emotional reaction in me, where I either want to kill them or just run out the door. <laughs> um, now, luckily, I know in that moment, that's my trigger. And I know certain places and people that might bring it up in me. So I've got a really lovely friend. Um, he's, you know, a, a really close friend, has been for years. Um, but he very much is still in that kind of evangelical world. So when we meet up for a coffee, I know sometimes his language might provoke some of that, those responses in me. So when I go, I go prepared for that. And I just know in my, in my heart, I might, I might pray a bit. I might just kind of you know, if I'm not feeling in a great place with it all, I might not meet that person that day. But it's being aware of those moments, locations, people, you know, things, you know, families are a big one, aren't they? Sometimes going back to a place that we've said goodbye to, all those sorts of things, being aware, what's going to provoke that reaction in me? 
and almost making a plan for what you'll do so that even if your emotions are saying, do this, your plan is like, I will do this. And you're kind of, you've already decided if I'm going into a situation like that where you know it could be a trigger having a, a plan and having somebody with you who understands that perhaps that, that place person situation might, you know, might provoke that and you might need some support. And then finally, clarifying expectations. One of the phrases that I think has probably changed my life in the last sort of five to 10 years is don't expect something from someone they're not capable of giving. Once I have released other people of my unfair expectations from what I want them to be able to give to me, do, um, it, is, it's, it was like a weight lifted. It was like this person keeps doing the same thing, but do you know what? They're not capable of doing anything else because that's where they are right now. And I can't change them, I can just change myself. I can only be responsible for myself, I can't. And I think just that idea of, am I sometimes in a, in a relationship where I'm, I'm constantly expecting, I'm disappointed with the same person because they always do these things. But you know, if they're not capable of doing anything else, is it fair to be disappointed? Can I release myself um, from, and that person from that unfair expectation? And sometimes that involves clarifying what those expectations are. It might be in a marriage, it might be in a friendship. You know, these are the things that I expect in this relationship or, and again, that might be a slightly awkward, weird conversation, but once you clarify and agree the expectations, people get dis disappointed a lot less because you know where you stand and, um, you know, what's expected of you. So I think that can be a really helpful tool. Brill, okay, I'm pretty much done. I think what is really important to also remind people of at this point is this um, this kind of balance of grace and truth. So there are some things perhaps this morning that, you know, a bit, as <laughs> my friend would say, stabby, a bit like, ow, um, things that have come out going, well, yeah, that, you know, I know that's a problem for me or that's something I, I know I need to work on, but I just, I don't want to right now or, um, you know, truth is, is hard and it can be painful sometimes. And I'd say always balance that with grace. So, yeah, there's the truth side. There's the things that God's gently inviting us to work on. But there's so much grace. There's so much grace and love. We've got time to work this through. We've got a community of people to help support each other as we do it. Um, and there's, there's room to make mistakes and get it wrong, um, no matter how long you've been following Jesus. So yeah, let, let there be some truth that challenges you, but um, don't walk away feeling condemned. If that's, if that's how you feel, that's not God. And God doesn't condemn. He just gently invites us to, to move closer towards him in lots of different ways. Um, and that's what grace is all about, that we do that in our own time. And I should say, sometimes um, things come up and uh, you, you're aware of something that you need to deal with, but actually now is not a safe time for you to do that. So particularly when it comes to like looking at, at things in your past or things that are very painful, perhaps you're in a situation where you're actually not, you don't feel like you are surrounded by people who really understand what's going on or there's other kind of stresses in life, you know. Um, it's not always the right time to face that stuff. Um, so just be really careful, um, you know, about, about some of those things as well. Okay, um, we're going to just have some time to reflect, because I think all of that just needs a lot of time and needs um, some just space to kind of go, okay, okay, God, like, what, what do we do with that? And um, I think one of the most powerful passages about self-awareness is Psalm 139, and it was something that, um, that Joe read out again a bit bits of last week. So there's um, a piece of music that's going to play, and Sarah's just going to come up and, and read that psalm um, just kind of slowly, just as a chance for us to... Um, 
to have some space and just see what God might be saying to us. And then the last two verses, I thought it would be really cool if um, we maybe said those together as a prayer. So say I'll read that out, there'll be a piece of music, and then I'll jump back up and I'll show you what the verses are so that you don't suddenly have to, you know, it's up to you whether you want to say that um, together as a response. And then, yeah, we'll have some more time um, just to process stuff in, in, in worship as, as Hannah comes back. So, um, yeah, Sarah, do you want to come up and read that? So, yeah, if you want to get comfy, move somewhere else, that's fine. It's going to be a bit, bit more reflective, a bit more meditative rather than just um, me reading stuff out. So feel free if there's somewhere else you want to go or um, you want to adjust your position to be comfortable, go for it. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them.
Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Um, just, just join me in saying it if you'd like to. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.